Welcome back, Bike Rumor fans. I am Tyler, and I'm here with Carl Strong and his wife, Loretta, who together have run Strong Frames for quite a while. If you're not familiar with them, we just announced Carl's semi-retirement from the Titanium Custom Bicycle Frame business a little bit ago. And so I wanted to talk to them because they've just been a staple in the kind of custom handmade industry for so long. And it's not like they're getting out of the bike business altogether. They're just going to focus more on the new Pursuit Cycles, which is the carbon brand they started with some other folks from the industry. So welcome to the show. Thanks. Thanks, man. Nice to be here. I'm glad you could make the time because I'm sure you've got a million things going on. So the short of it is you are very slowly retiring out of doing custom titanium frames, taking 10 orders for production this year and 10 for next year, correct? Yeah, 10 for 23, 10 for 24. We're finishing up our backlog for 22 through 22. Right on. And you started Pursuit Cycles, which is a totally separate company to focus on carbon fiber and composites, maybe like four years ago. Is that right? Yeah, roughly. We we launched our first bike four years ago. We started the company two years prior to that, and it took two years to sort of get from the very beginning to a point where we had a bike ready to sell. Nice. And what year did you start Strong Frames? 93. Wow. It is yeah. a long time to be building bikes. And have you always been there in Bozeman, Montana, doing that? Yep. Mm-hmm. Right from the get-go. Very cool. And I just want to like kind of throw out some kudos to you that, you know, for the years that you were at the Handmade Bike Show, every time we would talk to other builders, you know, they always give you a lot of credit for maybe not leading the industry, but just being a figurehead and being somebody that everybody looked up to. And you've always, you know, just sort of been admired by everybody I've ever talked to in the space. So congratulations on that. And <laughs> congratulations on a very slow retirement from yeah. Titanium. So what has that had to have been a, I don't know, difficult, because I feel like sometimes when you've done something for so long and you really are excited about what that new thing is, it's maybe not a, a difficult decision, but probably a little bittersweet to stop doing what you've been doing for so long. Yeah, you know, I think the feeling that I have is sort of that there's really no turning back. When you make the announcement, there's some a permanence to that. So it's always scary to make a decision that you're stuck with, but I am really excited about Pursuit. I love working with the team there. Um, it's just a great bunch of people and it's exciting and invigorating and inspiring. And while I love strong frames and I love titanium bikes, I've been at the bench now for 30 years. And as you get older, the physicality of the job, which you might not think is very physical, but it, it can be, it starts to wear you down. And with Pursuit, I'm not actually making the bikes. My team is. And so it gives me an opportunity to sort of shift more from an actual craftsman to being more of a, of a businessman and focusing on some, the stuff that happens at the desk versus the bench. And is that, that's exciting to me. That sounds horrible <laughs> sitting at a yeah. desk. <laughs> <laughs> that's funny. He's, he's out welded Kent Erickson though by quite a few years. So that's pretty nice. Yeah, welding is pretty hard on him. And the, the titanium, it's funny, after a day of welding tie, he'll, he, we call it the argon blues because he'll kind of have a headache and just kind of, you know, just kind of be done with it for, for a while is, is kind of nice. And the twisting and, you know, twisting and contorting your body to get into all the little crooks and crannies. And 
I mean, it's not like being a sheetrocker or a roofer or anything, obviously, but it's still definitely you know, more physical work than I want to do. And since I've kind of gone as far as I can on titanium frame building, as far as quality of craftsmanship is concerned, you know, I want to continue to improve. And so moving from the titanium to the carbon fiber just gives me that opportunity to continue sort of adding to my skills. Yeah, go out on top, right? Yeah. yeah. And I'm yeah. looking forward to never having to sandblast another titanium bicycle again. It <laughs> <laughs> will be very nice. Yeah. So I, I'm curious because from the outside looking in, and I hope you don't take this the wrong way, Loretta, because, you know, like we've hung out and stuff and I see at the shows when you guys used to go to the handmade bike show. But I think the maybe unless you've actually worked with strong frames or ordered a bike or seen the two of you at a show together, the outside perception is that this is Carl Strong's bike brand, right? But you do quite a bit in the company. What a, you know, you have a pretty intensive role in there. You know, you mentioned sandblasting. I think you help with some of the paperwork and stuff too, you know, from the custom orders and everything. But like, what all do you do? Gosh, I, I kind <laughs> of... Everything he doesn't want to? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I pack, I, I ship, I sandblast, I do the books, I do the photography, except in Pursuit, we have another guy who does all of the writing photography with the different models because he's just more connected in the cycling industry with the people and the one it, you know, he has the friends who want to model for him. And so, and I'm just kind of more just taking pictures of still frames. So I deal with the, the bicycle alone for pursuit, but, and for strong frames, I've always done the photography and I help with all the writing and the copy and the website stuff. I mean, it's pretty much everything except welding and assembling bikes. I don't wrench on bikes at all. I <laughs> probably haven't changed a flat tire in 30 years. But she, she, does dis, she does disassemble them to put me to, you know, when she boxes them up. Yeah, I do. I mean, I, I know how to like do, deal with getting them like the handlebars off and stems off and loosening forks and things like that. But, I don't assemble the bicycles. I don't put them together. Right. So pretty much everything he doesn't like to do, I do. Nice. Well, it's it's good teamwork, right? Yeah. 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 It'd be more than one person could do. I think that, you know, our output were a little bit beyond a single person's capability, unless you just really didn't have any other life outside of work. <laughs> yeah. I feel for, I feel for Mike DeSalvo and, Eric Rolf and all of the guys that are alone in their shops without somebody. Cause I know there's a lot of extra work that I do for Carl that a lot of people do on their own. And I just, I, it's a lot of work. Yeah. Oh yeah. Trust me. I think anybody who's ever started a business realizes pretty quickly all the little things that go on behind the scenes that nobody knows about that just will eat up days and days of time. Right. Is, um, all right. I'm curious because the shop is, at your house in your garage where the titanium frames are designed and made and blasted and pretty much everything. Yeah. What in the world are you going to do with all of that equipment that's in your garage now? Well, we, um, we just uh, bought a building, a commercial building where we will be moving pursuit cycles. And then all of the strong frames equipment will be moved into that shop. And That'll be my hobby shop and project shop for doing, you know, bike stuff. And then I'm going to take the existing shop where we're building strong frames and turn it into a wood shop. I have 
I had a wood shop and then when we, we moved, it got kind of put in storage. So I'm looking forward to getting it out and doing some furniture making and stuff like that. Awesome. Very cool. Yeah. So keep, keep keeping busy with your hands. Oh yeah. I'll yeah. never, I'll never stop. And we'll, we'll, we'll leave the setup for titanium because we'll have to service bikes that come in for warranty and customers who want to add brake mounts and things like that to, you know, in the future, we'll always service those customers as long as we're here to do it. So yeah, we'll always have that kind of area there, but we just won't be running bikes out of there. Yeah. That's cool. I imagine at some point it could be a, a good studio to teach up and coming builders or let some other people use it. Maybe. Um, I, you know, I, <laughs> 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 that's so funny. I, I did. I, one day I, I charged a guy, but he asked me to, if I teach him how to build bikes and I told him no, and he persisted. And so eventually I looked at what UBI was charging and said, okay, I'll charge you that, you know, and I, I brought him in and, and we taught him and I thankfully had a guy working for me at the time who was wonderful and took, you know, shouldered most of that task. But what I learned is that, and I hate, I don't want to sound like I'm a total greedy person, but I could have made four or five times as much the money in the same amount of time, with the same amount of effort building bikes. So I never did it again and I won't. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's not easy. You know, I think people underestimate just how hard it is. I mean, a just welding, just welding a a clean bead is incredibly hard and takes so much time to learn, let alone figuring out the mitering and the cutting and the the geometry and getting it just, I mean, heck you could give me all the tubes perfectly cut and put me in front of that jig. And I would almost not have any idea how to like actually start. Well, and you yeah. know, the, the, when you're teaching somebody how to do something that you know how to do really well, it requires a lot of patience not to just push them out of the way and do it yourself. <laughs> yeah, it's like having kids. <laughs> yeah. yeah, so and I, and, just, and I just do don't have that teacher gene, you know, and some people do. We had a guy that worked at Strong Frames Forever named Tony Smith, and he was a natural born teacher. And he just did so much for, for when we were bigger and we had more employees you know, to, to teach and train and, and keep everybody inspired and motivated. And once he was gone, it, you know, that we just didn't have that anymore. It just, it just isn't part of my DNA. I I also think too, Tyler, is one thing that you have to think about when you go into this business, if you think you want to just build a frame is you're also running a business and you have to deal with customers and you have to know how to service them and talk with them and respond to them in a timely fashion and and stay in business for them. And so we've watched so many people come and go from the industry that, you know, is it good or bad to have all of that out there if people aren't going to stick around and service their customers? So it's kind of a fine line of do you really want to be a frame builder or do you think that you just want to be a hobby biker and do you want to own a business and do you want to have employees and do you want to have liabilities and all of those things that come with it that a lot of people just want to build a bike and they don't understand that all that other stuff it's required to manage the business yeah yeah i mean it's essentially you need a business manager if you want to be able to focus on what you're good at right like there's a reason why companies have hierarchies and you have somebody for marketing and somebody for finance and et cetera et cetera because it doesn't make any sense for one person to try and do it all. Right. Right. And right. it's it's necessary early on, and you're always going to have some strengths and weaknesses as an individual. 
And I've always kind of said when it came to frame building, my superpower was being average at everything. Yeah. I'm I'm not good at anything and I'm not bad at anything. <laughs> I think some people might argue otherwise, but I see your point, right? Like if you can do all of the things pretty well, then you end up with a really good product, right? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And the product, including customer service and just general organization and management, which is where a lot of frame builders fall down because they're so focused on the frame building aspect. They don't put an, a, an equivalent amount of effort into um, learning how to sell or provide customer management or organize the workflow of the design process, even just before you get to the actual frame building. You know, 50% of the work has already occurred that is associated with that sale. Yeah. I think now more than ever, too, people want an experience, right? And, yeah. I mean, look at what Alchemy's doing, right? They moved and now they've got their whole experience where they'll fly you out you know, fit you or whatever it is and be a part of the experience of getting your new bike as opposed to just like clicking a button on a website and hoping you get what you want. Right. Yeah. And I mean that, and I think that's just sort of part of what we're offering now is the marketplace evolves, you know, I mean, you can get something from Amazon overnight or Trekker specialized right off the floor and they're, you know, those bikes are wonderful. So what are we offering that they're not, you know, and it, it is the experience. What's you must have learned a ton over the last 30 years of building this stuff, just about, you know, the industry, the business and all that. But I I would love to hear maybe two or three top level industry things that you've seen either come, go, change. Like what's what's been the most interesting things for you over this experience? I think for me as a frame builder, you know, over the last 30 years, we've seen the primary or predominant material change three times. You know, it went from steel to aluminum to carbon fiber. And then all of the legendary bike manufacturers morphed into marketing companies and started, you know, abdicating all the building and engineering to overseas producers. And so to me, just watching such a dramatic transformation of the business model that's primarily used um, in the industry, that's kind of been probably one of the most interesting things for me. I think, didn't aluminum come before steel? No. Nope. No. Aluminum was was probably the top material for 10 years. You know, steel until 2000, you know, roughly 2000. Maybe a little bit earlier. And then there was this aluminum period before carbon fiber sort of became the the norm. Now it's carbon fiber for a lot of good reasons, too. You know, it's a very high-performing material when applied to a high-performance bike. It's a super cool process. You'll have to come check it out. Next time yeah. you get to Montana, bring the kids and come to town. <laughs> yeah, definitely. I would love to come see the new facility. Yeah. So what's, you know, with Pursuit, I mean, what did you learn? I'm guessing a lot of the business lessons, how to run a business, right? But what are you taking with you from Strong Frames to pursue? The main thing, what I'm doing is so I, when I was younger and more aggressive, you know, I really tried to grow Strong Frames into, you know, what I thought I wanted it to be. And, you know, what, you know, they always say, be careful what you wish for, right? So I built this company. I didn't particularly like it, made a lot of mistakes along the way. And then we ended up, you know, shrinking it back down. So I'm taking all of those mistakes and lessons I learned, and maybe you could even call pursuit my midlife crisis in a a sense, because 
what I'm trying to do now is apply all the lessons all I learned, avoiding the mistakes. And of course, I'll make a new set of mistakes, but hopefully there'll be smaller mistakes. And so it's, it's just about, you know, starting with a clean slate, doing it again based on everything I learned over the last 30 years. What are some of the bigger ones? Like, what was the, the big mistake early on with Strong? Were you trying to, because you've, you've built in materials other than titanium in the past. Oh, right? yeah. We built, we've built with every material there is, you know, steel, mar aging steel, stainless, aluminum, with think, strong frames made, carbon bikes also. I think one of the things I noticed was a, was a mistake was we had a lot of contract work early on as a company, and it was a lot of managing the contract customer versus the strong frame customer and the strong frames customer took a lot more handling but the work was all the same and so the end result still a frame coming out of the shop and so i think that that was something that we built our company so big building bikes for other brands which actually made carl a better welder in the long run and a better frame builder but it wasn't really great for strong frames or for the customers of strong frames And I think that's why we kind of funneled out of all of that was because we needed to focus on our customers and not on other frame builders. So if if, if you know what I mean. And and also, I think we grew it too fast. And so we were kind of always on the bubble. So we operated at a really high stress level. And then that, you know, translated into um, our behavior being a little maybe uh, erratic you know, and it was bad on morale. So one of the big things I learned is team building and morale, managing morale. Now with Pursuit, my number one goal is making sure my team is happy, the morale is high, that they have all the resources they need, a table set for success, as they say, you know, and that was the biggest takeaway. And so and in order to do that, we're growing at a very slow and manageable rate, making sure that we pay our vendors immediately. We're not, you know, dragging people out and um, making sure our vendor relationships are really solid also. And that our employees love what they do because eventually we, you know, we're going to step out of the picture and it's it's theirs to continue for us. And that's kind of the legacy that we get to leave is you know, that teaching them how to be better at customer service, better at frame building, understanding different changes in the in the industry as new cable routing, you know, housing comes out and different things like that, that all affect the way that you build a bicycle frame. And all of those little things that they're going to have to learn because they're young and they're new and they're excited about cycling but they haven't seen all those changes and the constant changes of all of the little nuances of frame building. And so, you know, it's kind of fun to keep everyone on board and to keep them excited about always learning also. So, And, and that leads me to another point, which is making sure you put the right people in the right position so that they can be successful. And that's something I learned also is a lot of times I find a person that I really liked or I thought I had a lot of promise, but I just stick them where I needed them versus starting with the position and going and finding the person that's going to best suit that role. Hmm. Yeah, I was just going to ask, like, what is the screening process? Because you always, or at least like one of the things I hear a lot is hire for the personality, hire for the person that 
has the the curiosity and the ambition and the interest and the enthusiasm, somebody you would actually want to be with, and then they can learn the skills. But I, I guess, you know, there are some technical skills that come in handy to have up front. So how do you kind of balance getting like somebody who wants to work in a position versus somebody who's just excited to be in the industry and then you kind of funnel them into the position that's right for them or what you need? The basic requirement is that attitude, right? Attitude is everything. So you find that person that you can get along with that's going to fit the team that's ambition and, and interest. And then, you know, you kind of figure out what are their personality traits and, you know, what where would their particular skills best fit? And it, it, and it doesn't always work. And so you just got to not hire them whether you want to or not. One of the things with Pursuit Cycles that's pretty fortunate is that we have a university here, Montana State University. And it's got an excellent engineering program. And that, that engineering program has a really excellent carbon fiber program. And it's produced a lot of people that know a lot about carbon fiber production and engineering. As a matter of fact, our, one of our founding partners, Jared Nelson, got his PhD in um, mechanical engineering from MSU. That's how we know him. And so we got this nice little pipeline that's feeding us these kids. And then we just kind of pick and choose from them as needed, you know, and some will come in as interns and stay a short period of time. Others, we know they're going to leave at the end of their schooling. But we've also got a couple that we think are going to be really long term. And so we're fortunate in that we're not having trouble finding prospects. You know, we're in a town full of young outdoorsy people. And in these particular instances, they're educated in exactly what we need them to be educated in. So that's worked out well for us. Our new painter is so rad. He is in the guitar industry right now as a painter and we're stealing him. But he is also in a band called The Ranges and they're in um, Belgium right now doing a tour. So as soon as he gets back, we have some frames he needs to get working on. But he is not a cyclist (laughs) at all and he's not in the industry and it's He's been in an industry that is so cutthroat and is so hard that I am so excited to take him to like a show to get him to know other frame builders, to get him to feel the vibe of our industry, because that's one of the best parts about doing what we do is everyone that does it loves it. And we all have so much fun. I mean, you go to the NAB shows and you see everyone talks. We're all so friendly. It's like, it's just such a good vibe. I love it. It's it's a good place to be, really. Yeah. So what what show will you take them to? I guess Handmade Bike Show is back on the calendar, well, finally, after know, a few I, years off. You know, there's Philly. I don't and... know. I don't, I'm not sure. You know, right now, the only show that Carl has got going for sure right now is going to Envy next month. And we're taking a super sweet bike. It's going to be so awesome. It's actually for um, TJ Van Garderen. He, uh, he got permission to ride a pursuit. So we got, he used to work for us when he was young before he got picked up and became a fancy cyclist in the, in the <laughs> <good> world. <laughs> but um, no, he used to sweep our floors and Carl would build him titanium bikes to race on for nationals when he was young. And so, uh, yeah, anyway, we're sending his bike to Envy. So other than that, you know, we've talked about maybe hitting up Sea Otter in the future. Um, there's a couple other shows that we, we think about, but you know, to me, it's like any one of those shows has the same vibe. You're around everyone who loves what they're doing, people who love their bikes. It's like, how can you go wrong, really, with bicycle 
and happy people. Yeah, totally. Pursuit has also been growing pretty fast. So we're trying to sort of temper that a little bit. And so the shows kind of fall to the wayside because we're selling enough bikes and we don't want to get in over our head. So we're just kind of trying to let it grow at a real organic pace. Are you limited in production capacity there? Or like, are you at capacity? Or yeah, we're at capacity room? right now. But, you know, when we move, we'll be able to increase our capacity. We have a couple bottlenecks that we need to sort out. And um, once we get those sorted out, we'll start kind of turning up, you know, dialing up the volume a little bit. But right now we're pretty comfortable where we are. And so we're just going to sort of, you know, take it easy, roll through this season, see what happens with this, you know. You know, I think a lot of people are anticipating sort of a slowdown in the market in general, that there may be a little bit of a bike bubble happening. And so we kind of want to see what happens over the winter. You know, are the are the suppliers catching up? Are they going to change the way, you know, is are we ever going to return to the normal pre-COVID or is have people learned some lessons that might change the the norms for the way people do business in the future? So we want to kind of get a feel for all that before we get in too deep. You know, we don't want to overcommit ourselves and then have something, you know, change on us that we weren't anticipating, get caught, you know, with our pants down. So we're just going to kind of take it easy and deliver the orders that we're, we're getting at the rate we're getting them at without marketing outside of just social media marketing. Right. Um, cool. I'm thinking from biker standpoint, back to what you were saying about, you know, like bringing the younger people up, telling them, you know, kind of like, here's the things you need to know about the frames as these standards and everything evolve. And with cycling media, the, having that historical knowledge of, you know, back when we used to ride 135 millimeter wide QR rear wheels, right? And then disc brakes and then through axles and then boost and then super boost and all this stuff, right? Bringing new, I, I call them kids, right? Bringing kids in these days to try and write about cycling tech without that historical knowledge, the articles tend to be a lot shallower. And sometimes stuff just isn't put in the right kind of context to help people understand why a particular new standard or new technology is important or beneficial or relevant. But I kind of wonder, like, when you're training these people to build pursuit cycles, right? And who knows what the next standards are? Does it even matter teaching them that, yeah, we used to ride rim brakes with quick release axles? Or like, how far back do you need to go so that the new things that might come down the road, they can understand why it's important. I have an answer to this one. Fortunately, our <laughs> business partner, Bill, has a collection of what we like to call um, antique we bicycles. Call, we call them antique replicas. <laughs> yeah, because <laughs> he, has, he has a bike from every single, probably every other year since, what, the 70s? So, and he has them all in the condition that he bought them in. And so oh, wow. he'll ride them up here and he'll bring different bikes. And so it's fun. So they do see, like, they have the ability to see a lot of different stuff. But, um, yeah, so that was, that's that. Carl can probably answer better, but what, that was my joke on Bill and his vintage bike collection. <laughs> and what, what I would add to that, you know, is there's been a few evolutions in cycling that I think just that one evolution really mattered. Removable faceplate on the stem dropper posts and clipless pedals all come to mind. I think disc are just brakes. made, not even disc brakes, no. but just made a big impact right off the bat. But I think what we try to teach the, the kids is that 
This stuff may seem silly in the short term all by itself, but when you see everything over a longer period of time, it really adds up. You know, we have these bikes now that are you have electronic shifting, disc brakes, they're stiff, they're super lightweight. And that's all the consequence of many, many, many tiny little evolutions. And so I try, you know, I, I try to look at it in terms of a timeline versus just each little small thing as it occurs and then sort of, you know, pass that attitude on to them. Cool. Well, let's look into the crystal ball for a moment. Pursuit cycles, you know, what's three, four years down the road? I think three or four years down the road, we're going to probably will be relocated into a new shop with more space. We will probably be doing, you know, two to three times the volume we are now. We'll bring some operations in-house that we don't currently have in-house. One will be um, cutting molds and two will be cutting um, carbon fiber kits. Right now we outsource the kitting to a guy in Rexburg, Idaho. Just, you know, every time we need kits, we order them. He sends them up bagged and ready to rock and roll. It's pretty nice. But, you know, I think the the biggest change will be our gen our, our next generation of bike which we're working on now we we don't want it we're not planning on having it out for about two more years that'll be a pretty big deal but we're not trying to grow this company really big what i see it you know being is a really good lifestyle business where we can focus on the bikes profitability is important in terms of being able to continue to develop as a bike maker, but we're not using it to get rich or even support ourselves. So it's just all about the bike, really, and making better bikes and creating an environment where we have good jobs for young people that are excited about cycling. And, you know, if we can do that and, you know, build it a volume that's high enough for us to access all the resources we need to and to make the best bike that can be made without any limitations that that's our goal really awesome cool so when gravel bike well first of all we got to define that <laughs> <laughs> i think we, yeah. well, that was actually our first bike rumor podcast interview was your uh you, you, i think the words were there's no such thing as a gravel bike <laughs> yeah exactly that's why I, I kid but i'll tell you what i i think that the gen 2 bike there's a couple of goals that we have. And one is we want it to be more customizable than this this one. But the other one is we want the tire um, clearance. We want to be able to clear it probably a 750. I don't see us going much bigger than that ever. I don't know if you need to really. <laughs> well, and the you know, the thing is, is you get to a certain point, right? You know, I've always looked at gravel and, and you know, it comes from two different sides. One is road people going bigger. And the other side's mountain bike people going smaller. And once you get into that sort of mountain bike oriented gravel bike, or you get into the bike camping style adventure bikes that you bolt a bunch of stuff onto, that's just not our jam. That's just not how we ride bikes. So that's not how we're going to make bikes. Yeah, I think having that use experience, right? Like if you're not ever riding that kind of stuff, it's sort of hard for you to build one that's really good for that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we're, you know, but we do want to go bigger than a 40. You know, I think that people in general want more than a, a 40. And so it's easy enough to do if you plan on it from the beginning. When we started Pursuit, we were, you know, the, gra the gravel revolution, the big tire revolution hadn't quite taken hold yet, you know. 
And so we had to go back and we had to re-engineer a lot of parts so that we could offer more tire clearance, and we did. But um, I think starting with a clean, blank piece of paper will allow us to go a little bigger than we do now. Although 40 is pretty darn good, you know, for an all-road style bike. It's more than most. So. Yeah, I think when you get into gravel racing, a lot of people are at that 42, 45 range if it's at all a chunky course. But yeah, much bigger than that. And it's just so much weight. And what I've noticed is some bikes that'll fit like a 700, you know, a 29 by 2.1. Is it just as soon as you add that much rubber, it almost makes the bike handle more like a mountain bike. Like it feels very old school XC bike. But as soon as you put the, you know, back down to like a 42 or something on it, it, it completely changes the dynamics of the bike, which is really weird to me. Yeah. And you have to lengthen, you know, if you're going to have a 2.1 on the bike, you have to lengthen the bike. I mean, even if you wanted to put a curved C-tube or offset C-tube and short chain stays and all that, and you contorted it in every which way or the other to make the back tire fit without lengthening the chain stays, you still have to lengthen the front of the bike in order to get the clearance between your toe and your front tire. So I'm not a believer in shortening the back of the bike and lengthening the front, especially bikes that are going to be ridden at medium speeds because it takes all the weight off the front tire and you don't have grip. The bike doesn't turn in accurately and it doesn't hold a line. So there's a lot of compromises that have to be made when you start stretching out the wheelbase. And I just don't want to make those. Well, I appreciate the time. What? So somebody wants to order. Are you sold out now of the, the final two runs of Strong Frames? I think we have a couple months left, um, the end of 24, and then that's it. You know, two, I think two or three spots, I, I'd have to look to know for sure. And I assume they'll be gone in short order, so. Well, congratulations on that and for yeah. doing yeah. what you've done, the two of you together. It's amazing. Thank you. Yeah, thanks a lot. Well, any, any final thoughts you want to share on your journey? Our journey. Someday we'll be camping in your backyard. We'll, we'll come through town, <laughs> go for a bike ride. Maybe we'll get a Christmas tree with you. Yeah, oh, that'd be lovely. We'd love to have you. We have an Airbnb for you anytime you want it. That's awesome. Yeah, no, we feel we feel lucky that we were able to make a complete career out of this and also be able to retire at a somewhat decent age. So we're you know we're just feeling thankful, and you know hopefully now we can sort of leave behind a business that other people can do the same with. I'm looking forward to going and traveling and seeing everyone finally, like going to visit Curtis and Mitzi and, and Jeremy and Jay and Mike and Steve Potts. And I want to go see Don and Jill's new place on the lake. That's going to be so awesome. But yeah, so we'll just kind of, I mean, we'll still be in the industry. We're just going to be in it a little different. You van life in it? Do you have your custom van already? Nah, we got a Ford Flex. Yeah. <laughs> if it's, I can put my puppy crates in it and get them back and forth <laughs> to the pound. So it, uh, yeah, I got, I got a Ford so I could put my kennels in there. So puppies are always in the picture. Right on. Yeah, actually. So the travel thing, just, I guess one last question. It must be hard to break away when you're having to make bikes all the time. So have you been able to take little breaks throughout the years or have you been 30 years of pretty much nonstop? Yeah, it's been every trip we've done has basically been bike related. So, you know, let's go to the Fruit of Pat Tire Festival. Let's go to Seattle. Let's go to NAPS. And those are our trips for the most part, with, with the exception of some family events, family reunions and stuff like that. So we're looking forward to actually just taking trips for ourselves that aren't work related. 
I hear you on that one. Pretty much all of my family vacations over the past 15 years have been where can we, how can we loop together these bike launches and press events and this, that, and the other. And, you know, we've seen a lot of the country, but yeah, it's always been dictated by cycling in some way. So I, I feel you on that one. Yeah. So we're just looking forward to having our, you know, just kind of doing little loops around the country, taking our car and our dogs and, and our bikes and, our bikes and yeah. hitting up a KOA here and there and, and people <laughs> like you and just kind of having some fun, you know, enjoying life. Yep. Come see us anytime. Yeah. It'll also be nice because we have, you know, being a custom frame builder, you develop so many relationships with your customers. So it'll be nice to also go and see some of those people that we've made friends with over the years. So like Darren Crisp in Italy, I want to go see him. Yeah, that'll be that'll be a good one. (laughs) Yeah. There you go. Yeah. That's when it's good to have uh, all these connections all over the place, right? Yeah, for Mm -hmm. sure. Awesome. Thank you so much for your time and sharing your story. And for people who want to find out more of the best place now, I guess would be PursuitCycles.com. Yep, absolutely. PursuitCycles.com. Right on. Well, thanks everybody for tuning in. And if you like this episode and you want more great interviews, give us a shout, hit like, and give us a rating on iTunes or Apple Podcasts or Stitcher, wherever you listen to these things now. And check out Pursuit Frames if you're looking for a killer carbon bike. I've been riding one for a while now and it is absolutely one of the best bikes I've ever ridden. 